Good morning. Let me invite you to open the scripture to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me. Okay, you there? I need to, before we get into chapter four, we need to say a few words about what we talked about last week, because I'm sure there are quite a few people who were not here last week. So let's start around chapter three, verse 14. Notice this. He's... He's talking about Moses and the Old Covenant and the hard-heartedness of the Jews who did not experience the glory of God. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So he's saying to this day, the day of Paul, when the Scripture The Old Testament is read, they do not see the glory of Jesus there that Paul is proclaiming. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So when you become a believer, the the veil of knowing and experiencing the glory of God, having an intimate personal relationship is removed. And what he's doing is he's piggybacking on Moses who would go and meet with God. And when he came into God's presence, he would remove the veil and face to face. And then the glory of God had such a powerful effect on him that his face glowed with glory. It shone forth the glory. And so that when he was out, he had to veil his face so people could not see the glory of God upon him. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if you have the Spirit, you have freedom to know God. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, so every believer has an unveiled face. You've got a born-again heart. You can know God. We are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, in the same way that Moses' face had an, the glory had an effect, so when you spend time with Jesus, it has an effect, a transforming effect upon your life. And we said last week, well, how do you do that? Well, God's given us windows to see and experience the greatness of Jesus. The Word, the preach Word, the reading of the Word. Times of worship, times of prayer, times of fellowship. All these things have transforming effect because that's where we experience the glory of Jesus. Now, you would think if that's true, okay, Rusty, if it is the glory of Jesus that transforms people, for the non-believer, they need to see it before they're converted, right? So, so for a non-believer, they've got to see that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. He is God's Messiah, the King for me. He's the one who died and rose again. The glory of God, they've got to see before they can believe. 
For the believer, you've got to experience the glory of God continuously to grow. So it's one thing that transforms you. And in heaven, 1 John 3, when you see Jesus, it is the glory of him that will transform you. There's one thing that transforms. It is the glory of Jesus. And if that's true, then don't you think Satan's great design would be to keep the world and you from that? That's where Paul goes. Now look at chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of the God. Stop there. He's saying we preach the gospel clearly to everyone. We preach this glory. So why are people not coming to faith? Well, they are, but why does everybody not believe? Now verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. <laughs> There's like eight clauses there. And so we're just, we're really just going to preach one verse <laughs> with its eight clauses because there's so much meat in it. But let's pray for our time. Father, thank you for glory. Thank you for coming into darkness. We're part of your kingdom. Everybody who's born again through faith in Christ, we've received your spirit. The veil's been lifted. We're adopted. Lord, we have access to the living God. We come boldly now to the throne through the blood of Christ. Lord, and we also realize that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it is with principalities and powers. And like Paul says, 2 Corinthians 2.11, that Satan has designs. He says we're not unaware of them, Lord. And their designs are to keep the believer from pursuing transforming grace through beholding the glory of Christ. And the design for the non-believer is to keep them from the gospel. Oh God, and we pray that you would teach us today, unveil our eyes, help us to see and understand, Lord, spiritual realities. In Jesus' name, amen. Satan's great power is not scaring people, but deceiving people, okay? And, and his deception is all about who Jesus is. That, that's at his heart of his deception. So, look, you don't need to cast Satan out of every bologna sandwich you eat, okay? His deception is about who Jesus is and where your satisfaction comes from. He works to make sin look beautiful, satisfying, life-transforming, glory. He wants you to believe that what transforms your life is darkness and sin. And then on the other side, he works to make Jesus look dull, boring, dead, powerless. Heaven is just a bunch of 
angels sitting there flapping their wings, bored to death. Why would you want to go there? Worship is just dead and boring. That's his work. Satan's power comes through sin and darkness. And he wants you to believe and live like God can't be trusted, won't provide for you, won't meet your needs, or can't satisfy your deepest longings. He works for the world to see no glory in Christ and the gospel. Here's what that looks like. I had a friend whose daughter, beautiful girl, was in her 30s, and she had some medical issues. And so over the last 10 years of her life, she dated a couple of wonderful Christian guys, but when those guys would get to the place that they were ready to ask her to marry them, she would sense that that was about to happen, and she would get cold feet, and she would break it off. One of her friends suggested, listen, I know this great Christian counselor. Why don't you go see him? So in her third session, she's pouring out her heart, her fears, her anxieties, and this man breaks in, and he says, you know, seems like relationships with men are just not working out. Have you thought about women? Satan uses promises to bring us into darkness and sin. Just like with Adam and Eve. If our lives are transformed by beholding, experiencing the light, the love, the grace of Jesus Christ, Satan always holds out alternative promises of glory alternative satisfactions, alternative beauties, alternative glories with the promise, if you just have this, if you just do this, if you just commit your life to this, then you'll be transformed. And so in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, this is Satan's greatest work, to keep the world from seeing the greatness and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And for the believer... That God has come into our darkness, brought light, brought truth so that we know, we see the veil has been removed and Satan's greatest design for you is to keep you from the transforming glory of Jesus Christ. Now, so here's our main idea today. What did I write? How did it go? Satan's greatest goal is for you to see no glory in Jesus. That's it. So I want to dive into this one verse, maybe two. Okay, Rusty, how does he do that? If that's his goal in the believer and the non-believer, how does that work? Let's start with this, the veiled heart. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. There's some two parallel statements here. Let's start with that. Okay. Notice what Paul says, chapter 3, verse 14. But their minds, talking about, he's talking about the Jew in the old covenant. Their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Okay, now chapter 4, verse 3. Parallel statements. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Stop there. He's, he's saying parallel things. For many Jews, when they would read the Old Testament, there's a veil that lies over their hearts 
They don't see that it's about the glory of the Messiah Jesus. And now Paul is saying, in my ministry, as I travel and I preach the gospel, in the preaching of the gospel, if it's clear like he says, why doesn't everybody believe? Why are they not all converted? Notice what he says. It is veiled because they are perishing. He's saying the spiritual blindness of unbelievers is not because the gospel is not clear or because you're not the greatest evangelist in the world or the gospel is not wonderful or glorious. It's because they are veiled to it. Just like many of the Jews were veiled to it. And they're perishing, which means they're lost. So, Paul's, think about that. Paul's traveling. He's on the road. He comes, he preaches at Corinth. He's got a big crowd in the market. They gather around to hear the educated Jew, Paul, preach. He starts like this. He says, hey, we're all sinful. We're all going to face God's judgment. We can't save ourselves. And God from long ago promised a Savior, a substitute for judgment. He promised to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's why I'm here. (laughs) And then he sent this Savior, born of a virgin, performed miracles, lived a perfectly holy life by the law. He was the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of God, coming to bring eternal life. He was the Lamb of God to take away your sins. And on Passover, he was crucified with all the other lambs. He died. The third day he arose again. He ascended and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And everybody who believes and repents receives the Holy Spirit and becomes children of God, righteous in His sight. And they hear that. And 1 Corinthians 1.18 said, it was foolishness to them. <laughs> okay? Why? Why was it foolishness to them? Not everybody. Some were converted. Look at verse 4. In their case, the God of this world. Stop. Notice those words. God of this world. John 14, 30 calls it the prince of this world. And you might be thinking, okay, wait a second, Rusty, I'm confused. How is Satan God? I thought he was a fallen angel. And the answer is, because of the power he exercises over the people of this world. Let me explain. Satan's power is with sin and darkness, not with my bologna sandwich. And we live in a world that is enslaved to sin. Satan's kingdom stands on darkness and sin. So in the early church, let me say it like this. There was a heresy that said, if Satan is called God and Jesus is called God, aren't they both gods? Gods with a little g, not God the Father, right? You can see that. And they would come to this text and say, look right here. Satan is called God just like Jesus. And you might be thinking that, well, okay, Rusty, but if Satan's called God and Jesus is called God, what's the difference? Well, it's a good question. Notice, Jesus is called God with no qualifications. Romans 9, 5, the Christ who is God over all. God who was from the beginning, 
the creator, John 1. Satan is called God of this world. So in the same way that Baal is called the God of the Philistines, Satan is called the God of this world, which means the world is sinful and in spiritual darkness. He is the God of sin and spiritual darkness. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, when the Gentiles worship and sacrifice, they're worshiping and sacrificing Satan because he's the God of this world. Okay, let's take a step further. He is the God of this world, and he has an objective. In terms of darkness, he is. He is working towards something. What's he working towards? Verse 4. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Stop there. His goal is not to scare your children at night, but his design is to blind the minds of your children and the world to keep them in spiritual darkness as to the knowledge and the will and the glory of who Jesus is. So when man fell into sin in the very beginning in Genesis 1, part of the curse and misery of that is there is a veil, a spiritual darkness, an ignorance of the nature of God We don't know him anymore. The knowledge and relationship with God was lost. Man became slaves to sin. Ephesians 2 calls it sons of disobedience. Romans 1.21, hearts were darkened. Acts 17.27, they're feeling after God in darkness. Satan's great work then is to keep the world from seeing. To keep them from seeing And you say, Rusty, from seeing what? Verse 4. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. A blindness from seeing that Jesus is God's love and grace to the world. To keep the world crying, Ichabod. Ichabod, which means, where is the glory? Where is the greatness of Jesus? What transforms people's lives? Seeing and experience God's glory in Christ. His love, His power, His grace, His judgment, His will, His mercy, all His glory. And the more that we experience through the windows, the Word, prayer, worship, the more we are transformed into that image, the more we live in His light, And Satan's great goal is to keep people from experiencing the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news about the greatness of Jesus. The glory of Jesus preached, read in the Scriptures, experienced through His people, has power to change lives because that's where people experience Jesus. And Satan's great goal is to keep people in darkness towards that. And when you become a believer and the veil is lifted, his goal is the same. (laughs) Don't go there. How does he do that in your life? Let's close with this. He uses promises, just like with Adam and Eve. He holds out promises to you every day. 
alternative promises of glory, alternative satisfactions, alternative beauties, alternative pleasures. He makes every effort to hide from you all the transforming and satisfying greatness of worshiping and walking with Jesus. Sin is almost always a promise of false glory, satisfaction, power, and pleasure. John T. Rhodes says, Satan will sell you any and every lie to make you believe happiness and blessing are found outside of God and that there are no consequences to rejecting Jesus. Here's what that looks like. Let's say that you're a pastor. This is a friend of mine some years ago. And you live in Kentucky and your church is exploding in growth. And the elders come up with a plan to have three services. Three. They decide also to take out a massive loan and build a huge building structure, $15 million. And you're exhausted. Your music ministry is exhausted. The staff is beginning to quit because they're so tired. And then the space wars begin. Different ministries start fighting over limited resources and spaces. No, we've got that class that time. No, that space is ours. And as your church mushrooms, music wars break out. Some want smoke machines, some want organs. And they all threaten, if you don't give us what we want, we're leaving and we're taking our Jesus with us. And then the theology battles break out. Huge disagreements about the role of women in the church. And you're trying to keep it all together. And your fear, your anxiety, your depression, your anger, it just rises. It gets higher. And the more you work, the more pressure is laid at you. Can you relate to that? Maybe you can experience some of that. Maybe you experience fear, anxiety, depression, anger, the pressures of work which never seem to stop, people always looking at you to fix everything. And I want you to understand, during those times, Satan will come to the believer. He will come to you with alternative promises of glory. You're going to have to be the biggest, the most influential church in Kentucky and you can do that. Make it more fun and less Jesus. Your face is going to be everywhere. Book deals, radio deals, Oprah. <laughs> Alternative glory. Alternative promises of satisfaction. When your church is the biggest, the best, the most extreme for Jesus, then you're going to be happy. Then you'll be satisfied. Alternative pleasures. Release that stress when you come home at night. Have a few more drinks. Hide away a little bit more from your family. You deserve it. Satan's great goal in your life, especially in hard, anxious, depressive seasons, is to hide the truth and the transforming glory of Jesus from you. He wants you to go anywhere but Jesus for transformation, satisfaction, peace, and hope. And when you are tempted with the pleasures of darkness to believe these lies, I want to just encourage you, 
Practice faith. Live out the gospel. Practice faith that says sin is not more satisfying than intimacy and closeness with Jesus. The veil has been lifted. Believe the gospel. On my best and worst day by faith in Christ, the veil is no more. I can see and experience the one true, transforming, satisfying thing. The glory of God through Jesus Christ. Let me just finish with a Jonathan Edwards quote that I love. Why the devil so opposes the conversion of sinners? Why is he all about keeping people in darkness? It is because if they are once converted, they are forever converted. (laughs) And you can say, yes. And thus forever put beyond his reach so that he can never overthrow and ruin them. We are forever out of the reach of his destroying power. The kingdom is in us and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Father, we don't want to be head down people. We want to be heads up people. People who are constantly seeing my need for my heart to meet with Jesus. To unload all of my stress, all of my worry, all my depression, all my anxieties, all my fears upon Him. To experience all the transforming power of Your glory, the message of glory, the revealed greatness, Your love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control, all those things we have when we meet with you through worship. Oh God, we want to be a transformed people. Help us to see the lies of Satan that come at us and want us to pursue alternative glories. Help us to be people that live in the world and are lights of the world, but do not buy into the lies of darkness. Oh God, let us seek our great satisfaction in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand once again as we sing glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.